What's up, guys? Welcome to Rune of Ash Reads with your girl, Ashley. This week, we are reading The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi uh, by Shannon Chakrabarty. I really hope I pronounced that correctly. My apologies if I did not. Uh, we are actually reading this book in my book club. And this book has gotten so much hype. It's been all over. This author actually also wrote the City of Brass trilogy. I have been meaning to read that book forever. Um, that book has come highly recommended to me, both by uh, some of the people on my bookstagram and by people just in general in real life. I've had librarians suggest it, uh, like people at the bookstore suggest it, and I just haven't gotten to it. It's just been sitting on my shelf because... I'm a mood reader and that is how we work. You guys know what I'm talking about. But my goal for this year was to not buy any more books until I get through some of the stuff that I have on my shelf. And also, I don't want to keep any books that I don't like. So this year, that's the other thing I'm going to do. Go through the books that I DNF'd and... Um, sell them, donate them, just something because they don't need to be sitting there and I don't need to keep books on my shelf that I don't like. So any hoozy, uh, let's get into it. Any important points, I will make a reference to the page number so that you guys can follow along and know what the hell I'm talking about. All right. So starting out with the prologue here. As soon as we open this book. Oh, actually, before we even get to the prologue, um, I just wanted to mention the forward or the dedication. Sorry, not the forward. I don't typically read the dedication in my books. And some of you might agree. Some of you might disagree. My mom, she reads everything. She's like, the author put it in there for a reason. So if there's a forward, a dedication, whatever you might have it, She's going to read it. Me, not so much. I'm going to chapter one, and that's where we're starting. So, but for some reason, I read this dedication as I opened the book. For all those parenting and hardship during pandemics, through climate crisis, and under occupation, for those struggling to keep food on the table and juggle multiple jobs and impossible childcare, for everyone who set aside their own dreams briefly or forever to lift those of the next generation. And I believe that during the pandemic, uh, the author had a uh, kid. And I don't, I don't know, this, this dedication just really like spoke to me. I do not have kids. Um, don't plan on having any for a while. But I don't know, for some reason this was just really touching because the pandemic was hard for everyone and I just can't imagine what it would be like to have a kid, a fresh kid, during the pandemic. So I just thought that was really beautiful and I just really wanted to point that out. One of the really cool things about this book, and I believe also the City of Brass trilogy, is that these books are... Um, historical fantasy so the author does a lot of research and puts a lot of effort into 
making things as historically accurate as possible. Now, I know I'm reading fiction. I'm not expecting it to be perfect or anything like that, but I do really appreciate that. Um, and as we get into this, we'll see more and more um, historical accuracy. So things to note, uh, the Latin Christians of Western Europe were referred to as Franks and the Byzantines as the Rome. So this book, again, like I said, very historically accurate. Uh, it's based off medieval pirates in the Indian Ocean. So we're talking like 11th century. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that would have been during a crusade. Not sure which crusades, but if you do know, please you know, go ahead over to the Instagram and drop a comment on the post for this book. And then we've got a little excerpt from Sinbad the Sailor, very on, on point, you know. So now we're getting into the book. <laughs> so we have a prologue here. And I read this prologue and I was instantaneously hooked. So, this prologue is written by a character named Jamal, who is interviewing or writing the story of, about the adventures of Mina al-Sarafi. So, he is the one, you know, writing the story down. He's interviewing her. It's giving um, interview with a vampire type vibes, right? So... I already, that is like one of my favorite, uh, I don't, writing styles, I guess you could say, um, interview with the vampire, empire of the vampire. I just love that. And it's really cool because you'll kind of get like little interactions between Jamal and Amina throughout the book. The other interesting thing is that so far I haven't actually seen Jamal speak Outside of this uh, forward or prologue, I haven't, you don't actually see or hear him speak. You just hear Amina responding to whatever he interrupted her with. I, I read this first and I just knew that the book was about to be fire. So the prologue is basically just stating how, you know, Amina is like, oh, like she's that bitch, right? And he just kind of goes in on like how women are viewed and typically depicted in stories, right? Women are typically depicted as um, even if they have a crazy life and do all these crazy adventures, they always end up settling down, right? Getting married. They always find a man, have a kid, and then they're completed after they do that. And you can just tell that after reading this very first introductory chapter here, that that is not what this story is going to be about. So there is a couple of uh, things, a couple of quotes that I wanted to read. Wait, I gotta find it. 
All right, here we go on page two, the second chapter, or sorry, paragraph, my bad. For this scribe has read a great many of these accounts and taken away another lesson, that to be a woman is to have your story misremembered, discarded, twisted. In courtyard tales, women are the adulterous wives whose treachery begins a husband's descent into murderous madness or the long-suffering mothers who give birth to proper heroes. Biographers polish away the jagged edges of capable, ruthless queens so they may be remembered as saints, and geographers warn believing men away from such and such a place with scandalous tales of lewd local females who cavort in the sea and ravage foreign interlopers. Women are the forgotten spouses and unnamed daughters, wet nurses and handmaidens, thieves and harlots, witches, a titillating antidote you tell your friends back home or a warning, which is so true. And I never put it in such words myself, um, but that's true. And I think that that's something that unconsciously bothered me, but to see it written in words is, is it, it just hits, it hits different, you know? Um, there was one other quote, let me see. So he's talking about Amina specifically here. We're going back to page one again, the second big paragraph. Um, yes, that Captain Amina al-Sarafi, the smuggler, the pirate, the blasphemer that men of letters accuse of serving up human hearts for her sea beast husband and the sorceress, for she must be a sorceress because no female could sail a ship so deftly without the use of forbidden magics, whose appearance somehow both beguiles and repulses. Traitors along our fair shores warn against speaking her name as though she is a jinn who that although as though she is a jinn that might be summoned as such, though strangely. They have little compunction when it comes to spreading vicious rumors about her body and her sexuality. These things that men obsess over when they hate what they desire and desire what they cannot possess. I'm like, preach. And this is page one. So you see, you kind of see how or why I was like ready to go right from the start. Okay. All right. So heading into chapter one. Um, basically Amina, we are introduced to Amina and Amina is telling us this tale of, um, this time that she took these, uh, two boys out into the middle of the ocean um, so she was posing as a fisherwoman and these two kids, like young men, so I'm thinking like, you know, teens, maybe early 20s, uh, paid her to take them to unknowingly summon a demon. And, you know, these boys were dumbasses, they were young, and she basically had to save their ass. And she's just telling us one of the, uh, one of the actual tales about her. So chapter one, straight off the bat, we're getting action. We're learning that Amina is a bad bitch. She kicks ass and takes names. These men folk, they don't like her because I'm pretty sure that that is not the story that these two boys told everyone and that it differs a lot from what actually happened. Um, 
And I read this first chapter and I was like, damn, straight out the gate, first chapter. We've got demons, we've got Amina, you know, trying to little run a little con, make a little coin, you know, because she's got she's got situations to handle and bam, a demon. And it's I don't know, it's just so cool and magical, like and just to see something written I feel like I'm rambling, but to see something written with this like heavy Muslim influence is just really, really cool. It just points of view when it comes to fantasy, not just that European point of view. Like, give me African and Muslim and, um, you know, give me different shit, bro. Give me different shit. Okay? Okay? And, yeah, love the banter of this first chapter. Okay? So we're we're moving along pretty quick. First two chapters, pretty short. So we're moving on to chapter two. And um, in this chapter, you know, she's at home now. And she is, we learn a little bit of Amina's home life, right? She has this, you know, this rundown little house. Up in the mountains close to the sea with her daughter, who I believe is about 10. And, you know, she's trying to fix the, you know, fix the roof and, you know, take care of the house. Because Amina is a bad bitch, remember? She don't need no man. She can do all this by herself. And, you know, she's fixing up her house, talking to her daughter. And visitors come. And visitors never come. Because why would they? She's up in the mountains minding her own business. And these visitors come, and it's this old lady, this rich old lady. And she's posing as a servant in the household because she's like, why are these people here? There shouldn't be people here. I can't come straight out the gate and just kill them all because my daughter's here. And, you know, I decided I was going to be reformed. But uh, old habits die hard. So she's posing as a servant but you know kids do what kids are gonna do and uh you know her daughter pops in and is like hey mama and then you know the gig is up and this lady Salima you know knows that um so Salima has Salima I'm sorry Salima has come back to has come to visit Amina because uh, she has a job for her. And Amina's like, no, I don't do jobs no more. Why are you here to get out of my house? So Salima pulls, um, Salima, so the job that Salima has for Amina is that Salima's granddaughter was kidnapped by this Frank. And remember, Franks are Christians. So Salima, Salima's granddaughter has been kidnapped and she wants Amina to rescue her and to bring her back. So 
I mean, it's like, man, I'm really sorry, but I can't, I can't help you. And Salima pulls out the guilt card. So apparently Salima is the mother of a thief. Who is a thief? We do not know yet. Uh, is he a past lover, perhaps? Um, or maybe a favorite crew member that got killed somehow. Um, there is mention of a demon in this chapter. Maybe the that demon that haunts Amina is responsible for a thief and Amina has some sort of guilt towards him. She definitely has some sort of guilt because it was enough to get her to agree. Also, Salima is offering a million dinar and come on, like Amina needs the money. So that in combination with the grief, in combination with Amina's daughter, um, yeah, like she's going to take the job. She's, and I wonder how much of her really doesn't want to take the job. Like how much of her wants to return to the job. And this is the first, obviously we met Amina in the last chapter, but you know, we're still meeting Amina and learning about her. And she has got such dry humor. There's been so many times throughout this book where I've let out a chuckle. And I just think that we're going to love her. She's going to be great. So there was mention of a demon on page 19. She goes halfway down the page. She's, she's thinking to herself, he is gone. Gone. You buried him with your own hands. I think that she's talking about a demon here, but maybe not. Also, too, I hope that we get more of Amina's daughter, Marjana. And you can't tell me you didn't see her name and didn't think marijuana. But moving on, I would love to get more of her. She seems like she's going to be an interesting, an interesting little girl. So it'd be cool to get more of her throughout this story, even though obviously Amina is going off on an adventure. So I'm not sure. How much of her we're realistically going to get? And a perfect example of Amina's sense of humor. Page 29, very last paragraph. There was a waiting look on her face as if my sole duty in life was dealing with stolen granddaughters, which I should clarify is untrue. Kidnappings have never been my specialty, either the taking or the returning. I've tried the taking, but no ransom is worth listening to the whining complaints of trussed up rich folk. And I got such a good chuckle out of this because I always said that no one would ever kidnap me. If they ever kidnapped me, they would just return me because they would just be so annoyed by me. Don't know why they would kidnap me. I am not rich by any means, but I always said that that's why they would return me. So I definitely felt seen in that uh in that comment there. And another area I want to point out in this chapter, uh, beginning on page 32, Amina's asking Salima, why haven't you contacted the governor or the authorities or anyone? Like, why did you come to me? Like, there's other people who can help. And Salima is like, if the truth got out, it could ruin Dunya's life. Dunya's her granddaughter. And Amina's like, 
it would save her life. Like, what do you mean? Like, and Salima just kind of like looked at her and again, another quote, God save me from nobles and their daft ideas of honor. Right. Because if it gets out that this 16 year old girl has been kidnapped, everybody's going to assume that she was assaulted, sexually assaulted. Right. And God forbid that that ever happened because somehow it would ruin her life. Right. Not the guy who kidnapped her. It would ruin her life because she would be seen as, you know, sullied which is so fucked up, but, you know, unfortunately, we're used, unfortunately, we are used to it, so this is a, a theme that we constantly see, even in life today, which is, you know, honestly fucking crazy, but, you know, all we can do is work on it as a society and hope that one day it wouldn't be that way, we wouldn't blame victims for these horrible things that happen to them, but, you know, and Amina don't care because she a pirate, right? She don't care. So after this chapter, you know, moving right along here, we have um, a letter, a letter from a scholar. And this letter seems to be a a ship that was attacked by Amina's ship. By Amina, yeah, by Amina's ship and her crew. And um, he's writing this, this letter and he's saying that these, the most violent of pirates came onto their ship with thieves, oath breakers, adulterers, poisoners, and conmans. Their bathing habits are abominable. Their temperaments curse and their language incomprehensible. Um, and to make it worse, oh my God, they were captained by a woman by Nate, that goes by the name of Amina al-Sarafi, right? So we're just reading an account of, you know, of Amina, but not through Amina's eyes. So, which is again, helping us form that picture of Amina. And again, she's a bad bitch. And I love the last paragraph of the letter where they're talking about how there was these old ladies that were on their boat and they just were so impressed by Amina and they loved her and they thought it was great. They had a great time. I just love these little old ladies who were on this boat and they were just like, oh my God, a female pirate? And they just lived for her. It reminded me of, you know, when you're drunk in the club and you go to the bathroom and like all the girls in the bathroom are friends. That's what that's giving, right? Bad bitches unite. All right. Chapter three. So we open up the chapter and Amina is packing for her trip. Um, you know, unpacking all of her pirating things. And she's like having a moment because she probably never thought that she was going to go back to this, but part of her also wants to. And she's like slowly becoming um, the infamous Amina al-Sarafi. 
And she's saying that there's a little bit of madness built into the persona, right? Because, and I quote, a little madness goes a long way in convincing men that you might stab them if they step out of line. Which is true. That's my boyfriend. (laughs) We also get a little glimpse into what inspired Amina to become a pirate. She uh, grew up with her grandfather who had been a pirate and she learned everything from him and you can tell that she had a really close relationship with him and you know he really meant a lot to her and so Amina's mom comes comes in and uh she's like have you lost your mind like what do you mean you're gonna go be a pirate again like and Amina's like, we need the money, like the roof is falling in and all this stuff. And her mom is like, I don't care about money. I want you to be alive. Like apparently Amina left when she was like 17 and then was gone for years and years and years. And she never, she did not never, but she didn't see her again for a while. So she's like, bruh, like, I don't want you to go. But Amina's like, listen, we need the money. And I'm going to get 10,000 dinar just for going and asking questions. And if it gets too dangerous, I swear, I'll, uh, I'll come back. And her mom is like, there's no way that you'll come back. Like, you said this before and you were gone for years. Like, I wasn't born yesterday. But Amina is convinced that she's going to do it. She's made her mind up. And she's packing her stuff and she's getting ready to go. And, um, you know, she is torn because she does have her daughter. And, but she's like, I gotta go because I gotta make some money. And when I was reading this, I was curious. I was like, is a see for her past lover? Maybe her baby daddy. But... Asif is not her baby daddy Um, because on page 49, um, there's a a sentence that's like, um, Marjana older and alone with the strangest that frightens. So is Marjana a demon baby, perhaps? I mean, it would be getting down with demons. I mean, I'm down. And, yeah, so, you know, she's telling Marjana now. She's got to tell her, hey, like, I got to go. And, you know, four months is a long time to a little kid. So, it's it's really, really sad. Because starting on page 52... We see that Amina can tell that there's something wrong with Marjana. Like, Marjana is just acting in a way that Amina has never seen. She's, like, super scared. And she's like, this is not my daughter. And it comes out that, you know, Marjana has a bad feeling. And again, on page 53, this is where I was saying that we think possibly Marjana might be the daughter of whatever demon it was that... Amina encountered all those years ago. So on page 53, in italics, Marjana has a bad feeling. And she goes, and Amina is recalling a little bit of a memory. 
This way, he said, closing his beautiful black eyes and pulling east. There's nothing that way, I had argued. Nothing but the doldrums. We'll find no ships and may risk our own. Trust me, Nakuda. It will be worth your time. I have a feeling. A feeling? A feeling. Good feelings, bad feelings. How else do you think I direct your kind towards prosperity? So... I mean, Marjana's daddy is a demon. She's a baby demon. She's a little half demon, a little, you know, she a demon. So keeping in mind that she's a demon, Amina's like, hmm, maybe I should, maybe I should pay attention. But then she's like, nah, it's just like little kid talk, which is crazy because I feel like that's going to come back to bite her in the ass. Like when people have these feelings, especially knowing that your daughter's a demon, baby, why would you not listen? But you know, money, money, that's basically the chapter there. Um, so in this chapter, just a quick little recap, um, Amina's mom finds out that she's going to be leaving to go find Asif's daughter. And Amina's mom attempts to dissuade her, but a million dinar, you can't really deny that, right? So, of course, Amina's like, yo, I gotta go. Plus, you know, I feel like I owe this family something. And let's keep in mind Marjana's bad feelings and that we collectively, because I'm going to assume that you're with me here on this one, Marjana is a baby demon. She a baby demon. She a little half-breed demon whatever you want to call it. And to round out this chapter, we get a little letter, a missive to the Wally of Basra. This missive seems like a letter of passage, if you will. Not a letter letter of passage, like I have a letter of passage, like let me pass. But this is written to Basra and they're saying, whoever wrote this is saying, hey, when this Lady pirate comes through. She's not the one to fuck with. You better let her gang go through. Because they talk about it. Like their bark has some bite. So basically let them go through and everything will be fine. And it'll be great. And then we also hear about a mistress of poisons. Somebody that runs with Amina that, you know, it is a master of potionry, potionry, a master of potions, a new potions master, a lady Snape, if you will, that runs with her. So basically this little letter is saying like, hey, let her go through because this lady pirate is a bad bitch and all of her people are more than willing to wreck shit when they come here. So your best interest is just to let them pass, do whatever they say. Not only that, she's got this lady out here doling out poisons that take out entire squadrons of people. So, you know, let them through. And I really hope that we meet this mistress of poisons. That would be dope. Okay, so moving right along to chapter four. And once again, before I even start talking about what this chapter entails, I just need to point out that I just don't think I'll ever get over the interactions with Jamal. I love how Jamal is in the story, but he's not in the story. I don't know. So we start out with this little back and forth at the top of the chapter between Amina and Jamal, just so that the reader never forgets that Jamal is there. And she just, it seems like he 
Amina thinks of Jamal as this like, you know, this, this is the impression that I'm getting. It's just like, he's just this young kid, probably like early twenties. And she's like, you don't know anything. You know, nothing Jon Snow type, type of vibe here. I'm really, really enjoying it. I think it's hilarious. So Amina is now in, in, um, a den and it's funny because it's noted here an unspecified amount of time in italics. And I wonder if the italics are to hide her timeline, like where she was when, so that no one can pin her down. I just feel like that's a very piratey type of thing to do, even though by the time Jamal publishes this, wherever they're at, like it'll be long, long past. But I just think it's funny that it, it says an unspecified unspecified amount of time after Sayida Salima intruded upon my home. So I, that was just like a little tidbit for me. Let me know if you agree with that. But she's in a den and she's going to go visit um, her friend. And I just love this last little paragraph here on page 59. We are friends. I reminded myself under my breath working up some courage, and friends do not murder each other without warning. With a whispered prayer, I knocked on the door. So when I first read this, I thought that she was going there to kill an ex-friend. But we quickly discover that the person she is there to meet is the previously mentioned Mistress of Poisons. And I'm 99% sure that I'm calling her Mistress of Poisons. I do not believe that it was written anywhere else. I just... Oh, wait, no. It's right here in the missive. My bad. I didn't make that up. I thought it was cool. I guess I'm not. But the Mistress of Poisons, Delilah. And from the jump, Delilah seems like a fun broad. Okay? She sounds fun. And I did say that I originally thought that Amina was there to kill Delilah, but it seems like Amina is more concerned that Delilah will kill her because Delilah is giving unhinged. In her description here on page 60, it stated, Delilah has always possessed a kind of alarming beauty. But right now, her dark chestnut hair was so snarled, it resembled a bird's nest. One of her eyebrows appeared to have been recently singed off, and she was squinting, squinting, giving her expression a more manic edge than usual. She's giving me Bellatrix Lestrange. And if you don't agree, you can fight me. Alarming beauty, that's Bellatrix right there. Her hair is resembling a bird's nest. Bellatrix, giving her expression a more manic edge, Bellatrix, Delilah's Bellatrix, and you cannot convince me otherwise, which is fine because I actually love Bellatrix Lestrange. She's one of my favorite characters, but anyway, moving on, she's there to visit Delilah and to recruit Delilah, but she hasn't seen Delilah in years, and you know, Delilah's a little salty about that. She's like, you didn't even try to reach out to me. You gave your boat to Tinbu. And I thought I was your best friend. And Amina, so she basically, 
raking Amina over the coals. But because she's a dangerous lady, Amina's actually scared. She even... She even... You know, tries to get Amina's heart rate up a little bit by offering her something to drink. And Amina is sketched out. But Amina's like, you know what? She's not going to kill me. I'm going to drink it all in one go. Let's go. And she was fine, which is amazing. We love, we love friends like this, you know, that keep you on the edge of the seat. And it's interesting to hear that Delilah and Amina are such good friends that Delilah actually attended Marjana's birth. And on page 64, Amina states that Delilah is the only person trusted to do what was necessary if my worst fears came true. With that sentence, I believe that she's trusting Delilah to kill Marjana if Marjana ends up being an evil demon like Marjana's daddy. Again, I could be wrong. That is just my prophesizing. My, that is me trying to figure out what is going on in this book. But I really think that that's, that's a route. I really think that that's a route. Another thing that I love in this chapter is the way that they're talking about all of Amina's ex-husbands. Uh, like, she threw one off of the Marawati while he was naked. Um... All these different things. I just hope that we get more out of Amina's ex-husbands because I think that's so funny. So she's telling Delilah about the proposal from Salima and going to get Asif's daughter. And remember, Delilah also knows Asif, so she kind of feels like she can help in this. But, you know, she she... Gives Amina a hard time for disappearing for so many years, not even reaching out and all this stuff. But ultimately she agrees because they're friends and, you know, she kind of understands, but she's still brokenhearted. So, you know, you got to do that little dance and it's so cute. And I hope that their friendship, we get more of that as the story goes on. And I also hope that nobody dies. That is the end of chapter four. So first four chapters amazing. My overall feeling about this book is, like I said, I opened the page and the dedication was was amazing, which is something that I don't typically look at. And I just feel like this book is going to be so good. Amina and Jamal, Amina has this really dry humor that I appreciate. Um, I love the point of view that it's written from. Amina is... I believe they state that she's in her mid-40s and, you know, she's she's been here. She's not some new, fresh, fresh-faced young thing. She, she's been here. She retired. She has a kid. She's taking care of her life. And then she's like, you know what? I got to go back in. And she sounds like a boss bitch, honestly. I can't wait to read more of this. So first four chapters in summary, we meet Amina. Amina is recruited by the mother of a ex-castmate who castmate, the mother of an ex-crew member who has passed away because her granddaughter has been kidnapped, 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 
kidnapped by the Franks. And she's asking Amina to go and get her. And Amina is saying yes, because she's being offered a million dinars, which she needs. And also she feels some sort of obligation to Asif's daughter. So Amina said yes. She said goodbye to her daughter. She said goodbye to her mother. And then she traversed her way into the next town and met up with Delilah, our mistress of poison, who seems hilariously unhinged, which we love. It's going to be a great time with the two of them. And that's where we left off. And they're going to go go off to get the boat next. Um, what do I foresee? So it's just the first four chapters. So it's a little early to say what I think is going to happen. But Marjana is the demon of a baby. Um, which means that Amina either fell in love with a demon or was tricked into falling in love by a demon. And Delilah is her bestie, who I'm going to assume has been tasked with taking Marjana out if Marjana decides to go full demon baby. And that's where we left off. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Rune of Ash Reads. If you have any thought on this week's chapters, chapters one through four, please head over to my Instagram at Rune of Ash and drop a comment on the post of the adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi. And I'll see you guys next time. Have a good one. Bye.